oh man that actually hurt what that really hurt how many did you do one i should do more though hold on okay this podcast feels like it doesn't want to get made <laughs> um it feels a little bit cursed like we're as the listeners know we're we're late for this podcast um and that's because my macbook decided to freak out and destroy its graphics card and we've just spent the past hour trying to figure out how to get our microphones to work um and it yeah it just feels like this this podcast is against us i don't know i hope it goes okay from here on in me too <laughs> um right so let's let's talk some important stuff let's put some important stuff straight at the top of the show okay the big important thing is that i have left my job right. and i'm now pursuing artifexian full time nice uh, which I'm sure the listeners would be like, yay. Um, and this is cool. Like I am, um, I'm quite happy about this and things are going quite well. Poverty is wonderful. Um, but hopefully with more videos, uh, that can turn itself around. But yeah, Artifacts, yeah, I am attempting to do YouTube full time. Um, assuming that computers continue to work. So yeah. yeah, that's that is a thing that's happening. So there's no more, no more big long ten month hiatuses. Uh, there will be regular content from here on in. Great. Anyhow, announcements aside, let us crack into follow up. Got anything fun to follow up, Bill? Have I got anything fun for follow up? We were we were discussing your video off off air. You and I were discussing your video about a uh, um word building. Word building. Word yes. building. And um, you pointed out that in Hungarian, that the word for lumberjack is related to the, the root for river. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, according to Google Translate now, Google Translate is is not infallible in these regards. Okay. Well, I mean, let's, let's have a quick look at Wiktionary and see what they say. Person who fells trees in Hungarian is a favago. A favago? Yeah. And fa means tree, and vago means cutting. So I don't know what Google Translate was talking about, Edgar. <laughs> so Google Translate was completely wrong on this. In either, in any case, though, what was your idea about why the word for river would be tied to uh, lumber? Um, because of the thing that would be easily traded on on rivers, you you cut it down. You cut down the tree and then you float it downriver to wherever it's being like processed or sold on or whatever. So it's a thing, like kind of like the stuff you were saying in the video. It's something that is heavily traded on rivers. So it could, could, it could hypothetically come from that. That's fair. That's a good point, actually. That might have actually been interesting for me to put in the actual video as opposed to just disregarding it straight off the bat because I thought it was crazy. Like when, when Google Translate spat that at me, I was like... I don't think you know what you're on about Google Translate here. This is this is not a thing. I'm glad that has been confirmed. Um, river. But yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it here. Folio is the word for river, but favago is also a word for river. I wonder what that is. Any Finnish speakers in Artifexia while Bill is Googling there? Do you care to hit up Bill? Let him know. I don't think, it, I don't think Finnish speakers would be that helpful. Wait, it's Finnish. No, it's Hungarian. Hungarian. I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> like they're they're distantly related, but not like. 
<laughs> Sorry, any Hungarian. We know a few Hungarian speakers, actually. We should talk to them. We should. We should. Yeah, actually, do you know what? I'm going to make a note of that. Hold on. Talk to that Hungarian guy. <laughs> yeah, cool. And let's say, okay, we'll have some follow up in the next show when I talk to my Hungarian friends and see what the crack is with this. Okay. Um, just really quickly, it wasn't on the follow up um, notes for today, but do you remember the video that Asmodian underscore made? Uh, I think it's the second video. Yeah. Um, the highlights. The highlights, exactly, where he animated the thing about uh, Korean not having a word for vegetarianism. Yeah. And so in the video, he put in Hangul a word mm-hmm. um, that is that me, that is vegetarianism. And I went to Google Translate and Google Translate spat this back at me. I'm still convinced both I and the captain are not wrong on this. Because Google Translate, and this is a common thing in Asia, um, or known in Asia, Google Translate does not handle Asian languages well at all. Okay. And it can spit out complete nonsense when it comes to um, translating English to Asian languages. Um, the captain found this out the hard way a couple of times when trying to conduct like business stuff um, with regards to work through Google Translate. And it's just like, it's literally gibberish that comes out the other end. Yeah. So I'm pr- I'm pretty certain given the captain lived in the place and had talked to actual Korean speakers um that this isn't a word and maybe Google Translate is just translating I don't know vegetable or you know eating of vegetables or something like that but the concept itself seems to be a thing that's not actually embedded in the culture. I don't know I'm not a Korean speaker, nor is a captain, to be fair. So we, we all kind of don't know until someone who actually speaks Korean, like, comes on the show and says something. But until then, I am not convinced I'm entirely wrong. Still a great video by Asmodian underscore. I up. sent you a link there. You sent me a link. Oh, are you going to prove everything I'm about to say the wrong? Yeah, you yeah. are. Totally is. Totally is. <laughs> it's in Hangul, man. Yeah, do you know what that is? Is it the page for vegetarianism? Yeah, it's the Korean Wikipedia article about vegetarianism. Uh, I guess I'm wrong then. Uh, maybe the Korean people that spoke to the captain were just trolling her? <laughs> like, maybe it's just not a very common thing. You know, maybe it's it's uncommon enough that they just weren't familiar with the, with the, the, the word for it. Point is, it's confusing. And now I'm beginning to see that maybe I am wrong. <laughs> 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 anyway, so that's lumberjack and vegetarianism. Um, can we talk some Star Trek? Let's talk some Star Trek. Have you been watching the episodes, the subsequent episodes after the initial um, episode aired, and we did the podcast? I haven't. Yeah, I'm, I'm up to date. Okay. Any thoughts? Well, first of all, let's let's follow up some of the like feedback and comments from the Star Trek episode, and then let's talk about what um, what we think about the subsequent ones. So, sure. Um, any thoughts on the show itself? We did. Um, I want to make it clear that I didn't like the the theme song from Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that's fair. No, you did. You did not like it. Um, Jade Cat pointed out the. The thing with the with the brig computer, they put, had a different spin on the uh, on Burnham's interaction with the brig computer, which I kind kind of made sense. Um, it was a good explanation. Yeah, of it. I, 
I might link that in the show notes because it's actually quite yeah an interesting way of thinking about that interaction and uh, that converted me somewhat. And I rewatched that episode again, and I was like, you know what, I'm okay with this computer interaction. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then the next question is, uh, what do you think of the series so far? I'm enjoying it. Um, I'm enjoying the characters. Uh, I'm fully expecting expecting Section Thirty One to to become named that that Lorca is working for them in some capacity or is affiliated with them in some capacity um but maybe that's a little obvious i'm not sure um i think the drive thing is ridiculous i think it's utterly <laughs> utterly ridiculous um uh and yeah the there, there's a lot of points in it where I'm going. You're doing the obviously wrong thing here. You're like you're acting completely ridiculously, um. Like and the the show proved me right, and that the third or fourth episode, where we actually have the discovery, um, the Klingons try and like trap it and disable it and stuff. Because if you're using the discovery, you know you're able to go wherever and make all these huge jumps, then the Klingons are going to figure out you've got some kind of super weapon that can, you know, cover huge distances outside of warp or whatever. Um, so they're really bad at kind of the intelligence aspect of war. They're really, really bad at the intelligence aspect. Um, so that kind of annoys me a little. But I mean, I guess the show shows that they're bad at it, which undoes it a little, I guess. But I don't know. Okay, so the Section 31 thing you said about it being obvious, I don't know how obvious that would be to uh, a casual watcher of Star Trek. Sure. Um, Like, most normal people, like, they're like, oh, Spock with the hand, and, you know, there was, like, William Shatner did a thing. It's like, I, I don't think that many people are steeped in uh, Trek lore. I think you and I would find it obvious, and Trekkies would, but maybe not the general audience. And I think this Star Trek is aimed more at a general audience and not hardcore Trekkie fans. Sure, um, but that doesn't mean that they're not putting some of that stuff in anyway. No, no, not a lot, not a lot. But I, th- I think it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't come across for the vast majority of people. It would not be an obvious move, and no. it would be kind of like a revelation. It's like, oh, it's this like secret military thing and you mm-hmm. know so I, I think that would work um the drive thing right what would you do with the drive what do you mean as in if if the concept of the drive is utterly ridiculous how would you handle it i have my i think it's all i think it's ridiculous as well i think the whole like spores and whatever microorganism thing and they plug your man into it and they had the giant termite was just Stupid. It's a tardigrade. Um, I know how I would handle it, but how would you handle it? It's a tardigrade, not termite. I I, <laughs> I would handle it by not having it because I think it's a ridiculous idea. <laughs> oh, would you would you not just do a sort of um, Battlestar Galactic thing and just be like, it exists, it is a thing, and then find some way at the end of the series to say why it was maybe forever banned and was never used again. Don't don't explain it. Just we have jump technology. We're entering coordinates, and we can jump. And Discovery is the only ship that is like, say, I don't know, built strongly enough that it can withstand the forces or something like that. Just to just to explain away why every ship doesn't have it. But like, is the is the the technology completely lost as well? Is it like completely forgotten about? Because in that case, why didn't Voyager ever try and? build a spore drive to get back from the 
delta quadrant or gamma quadrant or whatever, whichever one they're trapped in. Like right, but I think, but I think you've, you've that same problem either way. Like, like you know, Voyager never used spore technology. Yeah. In the same sense, they never used jump technology. So because of the prequel problem, you're going to have the problem anyways. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So but it either is, it's a particularly glaring example of it. Yeah, it is. It is pretty. Cool. I, I I just don't like. I just don't like the um the feel of it. It just feels really kind of um, I don't know, very fantasy. You know, we have like these magical creatures, or not magical, but like these like sort of strange creatures that like can go anywhere in the universe on these like secret, mystical, hidden, trailing mm-hmm. things, and we can tag along. And it just feels really. It doesn't feel like you know Jory LaForge science engineering and that sort of crack, and I don't yeah. like it. I think it it is ridiculous. I think it's stupid, and I think the effects it's having on Stamets is that the engineer guy? Yeah, yeah. Where he just kind of like seems to be permanently high as a result. It's just weird. Like, I don't think that's strange. what's going on. Oh, you think something? Else? Oh, it's the, it's the thing with his moving reflection crack. Yeah, I think he's been replaced by a pod person. Is that a serious suggestion? No, not like a liberal pod person, but yeah, I think there's something like that going on. There, there's something else happening with Stamets, and it involves okay. it involves the mirror, or the 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 it reflection. The um, what I think would be kind of fun and would be a real Star Trek kind of thing to do is if you know that develops and you know you discover he has been replaced by a pod person or whatever. Um, but the pod person is actually a pretty nice guy. So maybe, you know, the Star Trek thing to do will be like, they get Stamets back, but they keep the mirror clone around anyway, because he's a nice guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wouldn't that be a really That's Trek gonna... thing to do? <laughs> it would be really It's going to cause problems with his partner. That's going to be weird. Yeah. Maybe they'd have to double up the partner in some way. Um, I don't Absolutely. know. But um, yeah. Okay. So overall, Bill, to give you my opinion on what's what's been happening with Trek, I don't like what's happening okay i don't particularly enjoy watching the show which is annoying like we uh, the captain likes it because it's less like trekky than than what i than what she's seen uh of trek before mm-hmm. um so she enjoys watching it um and so i was all in on kind of like yes this is gonna be a thing we can watch every week it'd be great we both really enjoy it and what we found is that when it comes to a Monday and it gets released, we kind of are like, do you want to watch Star Trek? And it's always a case of, yeah, I guess, maybe. Can we watch Avatar instead? Yeah, let's watch Avatar. There's always something that's more appealing to us now than watching Trek. And I don't know what it is. It's just something about it. It's it, This show is not clicking with, with me at all. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't hate it, but it's just like, it's just not it's not driving with me and i don't like this i wanted it to drive with me but we'll we'll keep at it and see how it goes um i'm be saying before that trek always takes a couple of uh seasons to really find its feet yeah but see the, the difference here is that um usually when when so usually trek sets itself up right and you're kind of like okay i get what the show is going to do like the next generation and the original series they're like on a ship they're going out exploring we meet new uh aliens every week and we resolve something great uh deep space nine we have like a central hub which is like a like a melting pot of all different cultures and story arcs are going to spring out from there great yeah. um so if the initial starting point is solid 
I'm willing to stick with it and give it a go, which mm-hmm. I think uh, the next generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager as well um, are. I don't think this one is solid. Like, I think this is it's just, I don't know. It, do, it doesn't hold me the same way. I'm not kind of like going, yes, but once they crack this, they can really exploit this very well and we'll get really interesting storytelling. I don't think they've set up a strong enough initial concept for that. Okay. Which is just my opinion. I know. I'm going to keep watching it though because, you know, Trek. Um, and I hope I'll be turned around. Uh, but as of right now, I'm much more interested in watching, re-watching Avatar The Last Airbender because it's so much better. <laughs> anyway, so that, that, is, that is Star Trek. Do you have anything else to add on that or can we move on to the pressing matter of Bill Polian? We can move on to the pressing matter of Bill Polian. <laughs> so tell me, Bill, Bill Polian, I'm really excited to hear. Did anyone send anything to you? Uh, I got a few. Yes! Yes! Woo! You got a few because I only seen one. Like, one who tagged me in it as well. But you got, like, more than one. If we look at the hashtag Bill Polian on um, Twitter, we have... Hashtag Bill Polian. Uh, I think three people have done it. Um, I think one of them was actually you. Uh. Oh, well, that, that doesn't really count. Uh, you tweeted on the 2nd of October. Uh, and we got got one a few days ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with uh, someone sent us a, a screenshot of their f- of their phone. Um, there was one from the 4th of October, so a few days after we, we left it. Um, uh, uh, a fan, I think, is, is known to you. And then we've got one from mm-hmm. the 4th of June, uh, 2015, um, which is actually a link to someone's Instagram um, of a picture of our painting of Bill Murray in sort of Napoleonic era military dress. Um, oh, my, oh no, the OG Bill Polian. The, yeah, Bill, Bill Murray beat me to it. Oh no, that's mm. ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, if there was anyone that I was, I was happy to be beaten by. Uh, Bill Murray is, is pretty class. Yeah. He's pretty class. Um, oh, 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 come here. Uh, really, really, really quick tangent, right? Um, Brady Harron... Um, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Brady Harron of Hello Internet fame has a new podcast called The Unmade Podcast. Okay. And the premise of this podcast is that him and his mate sit around and discuss ideas for podcasts they will never make. Okay. And uh, it's quite fun. It's basically an excuse for two guys who are really who are friends to get together and hang out. And it's it's good. It's cool to listen to. Uh, on their first episode, though. They had uh, the idea of doing a Groundhog Day podcast, mm-hmm. whereby every day they would watch the movie Groundhog Day and record an episode based on their watching of Groundhog Day. I just think it's the coolest thing ever. And I think that everyone who listened to that show was kind of like, this needs to be made. And I'm in that camp as well. I'm like, someone needs to make a Groundhog Day podcast where they talk about Groundhog Day, the movie, every day. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, I just wanted to share that. I love it. It fills my heart with joy. We can move on. <laughs> um, anyway, so, uh, okay, that's Bill Polian. Uh, guys, still, Artifacts, yeah, still tweet at Bill Polian with some lovely Edgar 
handcrafted by Edgar flat design imagery of Bill in Napoleonic, uh, Napoleonic era garb. Uh, please do. Um, uh, this would make me feel even happier than Groundhog Day, the podcast, becoming a real thing. Um, right, moving on to Oa. Okay, we're going to talk some Oa. Cool. So, a Redditor by the name of... Cool Mare. Cool Mare? Mm-hmm. Cool Mare uh, came up with a cool script for uh, the Oa writing system. It's like a, a handwritten version of the script you, you created last year, right? Exactly, like a cursive. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God, last year? It's been a whole year. Oh, God damn. Um, but yes, yeah, it's a cursive version of my, like, Hangul slash Hebrew, uh, Hebrew-inspired characters. And it's really cool. I'll link in the show notes, and I'll also link to their their comment outlining what decisions they made. And there's some really interesting things, like... Um, Hebrew, for anyone who doesn't know, the Hebrew script has big, thick, horizontal bars, like my script. And in their cursive, apparently, they they drop the horizontal bars, which I didn't know. And um, Kumer has taken this as inspiration and has dropped some um, bars from Oa and created this really cool-looking script. Like, I think it looks a lot better than the thing that I've created. (laughs) So all this is going to be in the show notes. Check it out. It might be some inspiration for anyone doing cursive writing. And get involved in the in the in the subreddit and talk to Kumer and stuff, and maybe everyone can learn a little about about cursive scripts and all that sort of jazz. So just shout out and in the show notes. Plus, cool. I think that is follow up done. Um, I I'm all followed up out. What about you? Yeah, I think that's it. I want to just a, a quick scan of the the because we didn't do follow up for episode twenty six either because the la- we didn't do any follow up in the last episode. So I'm just gonna have a quick scan. God, it's been it's been so long. Twenty six feels like so long ago. Um, I'm gonna have a quick scan through the comments here. Um, oh, do you, you know what, do you know what I'm gonna do? I'm I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna I'm gonna tweet out right and just say it, we're recording. And if anyone wants to send some Bill Pauly stuff to Bill, please do it now. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, user Fizz Six, um, posted on on the thread for episode twenty six. Uh, some different projections of the Mega Earth map that I made, so I'll, I'll throw those in the in the sh- the show notes. Uh, cool, cool, very, very cool. Uh, thank you very much for that, Phys Six. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to see someone do that with them. So yes, they're and they're actually surprisingly different when when you you see them from different angles. It looks even more distorted than from the equirectangular uh, projection I used last episode and also user Mitchkov uh, sent us an or commented an article about um, the the great floods from the in North America from uh, I, I I spoke last week about the draining of Lake Agassiz and the, the massive waterfall mm-hmm. in in the western United States so there's a, an article about that, which is pretty cool, um, the draining of those huge systems and how you can still see the impact of them in the in the landscape. Cool. So I'll put both of those in the show notes. Overall, I think people really dug your map, which is really cool. Um, yeah, I think people people enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I got I got some cool feedback and people said nice things, which is which is always appreciated. Everyone loves Bill's world building, and they're going to be disappointed this month because Bill didn't do any world, any world building done. I know. <laughs> the worst. No, 
No more love for Bill. <laughs> I had I had all, all my credit that I've built up has been squandered, ruined all my capital. Oh, and then like I come armed this week with this month with so so much social debt. Like, hopefully, I'll usurp your position. It'd be great. Hopefully, all the pressure will be off. Um, will we go to emails? Well, let's go to emails. Take it over, sir. What we got? Okay, uh, I'm just gonna go through these real quick. Um, uh, Miriam Lesage emailed us um, based on the hybrid animals from a good few episodes ago. Uh, they're they live in. Hamilton in Canada, and their city authorities have ads on their buses um, to warn people about the danger of rabies, and the ads have hybrid animals in them. So the first is a skox, a skunk fox hybrid, and the second These one are... they sent us was a baccoon, a bat raccoon. Uh, these are ridiculously cute and they really don't suit the actual message <laughs> yeah especially the, the baccoon the baccoon right um the captain really really likes raccoons mm-hmm. um and like i think in another life she must have been a raccoon because her and raccoons share an awful lot of uh similar traits um one of the big ones is that they really like cleaning like raccoons love cleaning things really? and so does the captain yeah, there are, there's loads of memes and things going around where you have, like, raccoons cleaning, like, other animals and things. And, mm. yeah, they really like scrubbing things. That's Anyhow, um, and she's having Mac moved back from South Korea. She finds Ireland, like, just horrifically cold. So she's constantly draped in blankets. So the bat coon just reminds me of the captain and it's hella cute. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But I love the I love the hybrid animals things. It's really cool. Re- they're really cute. They're very very cute. Um, so that's the first one. Um, what we got next? We've got an email. For, actually, we've got two emails from um Sid H. Uh, one asking, cool. um, do you think that nuclear war could happen on Takar? Do I think that nuclear war could happen? Or on things like Takar? nuclear war. Yeah, I mean, can't nuclear war happen on any world? That's not like a fantasy world, like a medieval fantasy world. Yeah, there's no reason it couldn't. There's no reason it couldn't. I could. Ooh. I would imagine there'd be some nice sort of like splitting nacolite to make bombs going on. Perhaps maybe the government does this sort of thing. I don't know. Um, and uh, they also sent us another email um, with the idea that instead of having leap years every four years, you could add point two four days to the last day of the year. Um, to, so that every year would be the same length and to keep the calendar consistent that way um, but the problem that is if you do that then the days no longer actually match up with actual days because you'll be 0.24 of a day is nearly 6 hours so if you mm-hmm. added 6 hours on to the end of the year then you know the time would be out by 6 hours if you just like so you get to midnight at, at, on December 31st and then you wait for six hours before the next day begins. Well, then, you know, 1 a.m. is actually after dawn. Yeah. So it's, it, yeah. Would, it wouldn't work out that way. It would disrupt the, the, the clock, basically. 
They've, I, I think they've taken the Kim Stanley Robinson thing mm-hmm. and um, maybe applied it in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. It works well on a day level, but not not, uh, not on the year level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know. Like, people are weird. Maybe there is some, there will be some branch of people on some distant planet that do this for some bizarre reason. Um, I did see a vaguely related, um, oh, well, not, not, not all that related, but it, it reminded me suggestion on a uh, world building group on Facebook um, in the last week or so that you would have uh, yeah, a culture that has two separate systems for, of calendars, one for daytime and then another one for nighttime. So hmm. from dawn until dusk, you use, let's say, the solar calendar and you call that, you know, the ninth of Edgar or whatever, <laughs> and then once the sun goes down, you're thinking of it as a totally new thing with a totally different system, and you'd call that the blankth of Bill. Which is cool. Hmm. That is cool. It's, it's relatively similar to what I think the ancient Egyptians did. Really? Um, well, not, not in the sense they had two calendars, but I, I believe they thought of the day and the night as being distinctly separate things. Um, it wasn't like, I get the impression that it wasn't considered to be part of the one cycle, so to speak. It was like, there is a day and that's one thing. There is a night and that's another thing. And they're separate. Um, and I believe they didn't mark the night in terms of time. It's like they would track the day and then just stop at night and start again when the sun came up for obvious reasons, because you know, most things don't happen at night. Um, but that, that idea about like having two separate calendar systems, while it is strange, seems like there, there, it comes from, or it could have come from a, uh, a historical place there, which I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was cool. That's cool. That's really cool. So that's not original. I saw it, as I said, somewhere on Facebook, um, and I thought it was relevant to Artifexium. Um, the next uh, in- we'll just put credit, credit Facebook in the, in the thing. Because that's how copyright works. <laughs> um, the next one is from Dean Wolfel. Um, and they're asking about Lagrange points. Whether you could have an Earth-like moon around a super Jupiter of seven Jupiter masses and uh, a smaller moon um, of about one quarter of an Earth mass in the super Jupiter's Lagrange points. Oh, sorry, the Lagrange point between the, the other moon and, and the super Jupiter, the L4 point. Okay, now, would this work? Uh, like, theoretically, this is a thing that can occur. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, my go-to with this is always like, no, because it's a three-body system, and the three-body system is very unstable only in certain circumstances, and those circumstances are hard to define unless you want to do a hell of a lot of calculus. Um, but the idea... Uh, has kind of the bravado of rigor such that it can like pass uh, a sort of a surface critique of it. So the the idea being that like you couldn't really have like a super Jupiter, a moon, and then a moon of equal mass at a Lagrange point. The kind of general accepted thing is that you need to go down in mass every time. So like super Jupiter is like prime mass, uh, the moon is much smaller in mass, and then the the moon of the moon, so to speak, at the Lagrange point is much smaller in mass again. And that's been done here. So if I was reading a book with that scenario, I'd be like, that sounds plausible. Even if you if you ran a true simulation, it would all fall to pieces. 
Um, remember, we're not writing scientific papers here. We're world building. And the end game is to make a, f- a cool setting that is somewhat plausible. And I think that passes the plausibility mark on my end anyways. Cool. Um, what else in the email? Is there any, is there any other questions in that? Let me call up. Um, uh, that, that's that's pretty much it. Uh, if it is completely unrealistic, how could you change without altering it too much? But I, no, I think you said it's it. No, it's it's in there. I, um, and would switching it to the L five Lagrange point change anything? Uh, no. No. Cool. Simple. Simple. Nope. The L four L five points are exactly the same. The only thing it would change would be kind of like where the position of the moon in the sky is relative to the prime moon or the main moon. Right. So like to, just to clarify that, so the position of the Lagrangian body would be in different places in the sky depending on what point it's at. But like um, uh, gravitationally, in terms of interactions, they're exactly the same. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, more on emails. Actually, before we go on, right, I, I, just, I should have brought this up at the start of the show. But I, I just it's, it's hit me now, so I'll put it here. I think we need to start rebranding, to use a very Bill marketing term, the various sections of this show. Okay. I, I think email has kind of just become like a Q&A. You know? Mm, so instead okay. of it being like email, we should be kind of like, let's, let's do some world building Q&A. And then the primary means of it happening are via email. Hmm, and possibly. on top of that, the main section generally is if both of us do world building generally is talking about writing now so we should just call like that like the writer's room or something as opposed to like the main topic which sounds all formal and stuff we should be like let's do q a some world building q a let's go to the writer's room and after that we can go to the green room and they all have unique names and yeah thoughts and when we actually build like the artifacts artifactsian premises you know, like our, our fully equipped world building and podcasting studio that we're going to make, <laughs> then we can have an actual physical writer's room and a physical green room. The artifacts of space. I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> you started this artifacts of something trend. I was, I, I'm heavily against doing this, but you did it. And I just kind of like, it felt natural and got on board with it. So now everything's artifacts or whatever. Um, and I kind of hate myself for it. But yes, when we have the Artifexian Studios. Artifexian Towers. Um, Artifexian Towers. <laughs> um, we can have actual proper spaces. It, then when we record in it, we have to like physically get up and move to the separate spaces to record those sections. Yeah, we'll use like a rolly desk like they have in, in like tech companies where they're really hip. No, but Bill, if it's a tower, right, maybe we can stack the various rooms on top of each other, right? And we could have, like, our desks be attached to, like, so almost like a, a small platform tied to a fireman pole. And then, like, we hit a button when we finish, like, the writer's room. And then we kind of just, like, escalate down to the green room. So we don't actually need to move. It's, like, it's all automated, but all in a vertical sort of sense. That sounds practical. It does sound practical, and it's it's also like it takes up less room in whatever city we choose to build this in mm-hmm. or town. Um, so you know, building vertically, I think, is is kind of be showing that we're conscious, yeah, and things that we're not spreading out like a like some sort of mold over the landscape. <laughs> no. Anyhow, anyhow, point is, this is very much uh, less less emails and more Q and A, which is cool. I really like this section. Speaking of which, should we crack on? Anything else in the mailbag? 
Uh, we've got one from N6 about N6. rebel flags. Um, and yeah, the, the they bring up that the the good flag bad flag thing um, isn't uh, necessarily taken as as go- a good guide to flag design by uh, actual vexillologists. Uh, well played, sir. Vexillograph, but vexillologist. I suppose that's someone who studies flags, but then someone who makes flags should be uh, a vexillographer. A vexillographer, that's true, they should be, yeah. I did not. Mm. So I'm just, I'm, I mean, I haven't really thought about it actively before. I guess vexillologists are people who study flags, and a vexillographer would be someone who makes flags. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I think they, they're both valid words, man. Okay, cool, cool. Um. So, yeah, and particularly the bit about a flag being so simple that a child could draw it actually isn't in the uh, the North American Vexillological Association's uh, reports and, and guidelines on what makes a good flag. So they've actually uh, linked this document here the the commission show notes yeah we'll put it in the show notes commission report yeah, definitely on the guiding principles of flag design it's, it's quite a good document and um, there's one that I, I mean there's you know a lot of it just kind of putting down the basics and the definitions and stuff one i really liked um was point uh, 2.2 which is simplicity is important in creating a design that is easy to recognize and simple to reproduce so not necessarily so simple that a child could draw it accurately but you know that you could have a go at you know getting the gist of it and it would be recognizable from that uh, try redrawing the design freehand to see whether an imperfect drawing of a flag can still be easily mm-hmm. identified which i think is a really important point point. Um, and try imagining it at a small size such as lapel pin or when viewed from a distance when small details will not be obvious so that even if there are happen to be small details there, that if the small details aren't critical to understanding what the flag is and to recognizing what it is. Yeah, I I like this um, the the guidelines laid out in this document better than the sort of standard uh, one that goes around the internet. I'll link that one as well in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, because like by that, and I've kind of changed over time as well, and this kind of has confirmed it and solidified my position. Um, by the criteria I used to go under, flags like whales will be terrible because they're really complex. The, mm-hmm. the dragon is really complex. Uh, Brunei will be the same. It's a really complex uh, dragon. Um, Bhutan? Cambodia as well. Uh, Bhutan, sorry, yeah. Bhutan, Bhutan is Bhutan. the flag. Brunei the orange... has a complex crest on it, though. What is Brunei again? Hold on, hold it's on. It's yellow on. with a black and white diagonal across it yes. and then a red crest. Yeah. So it's, it's the the crest is quite complicated as well. Yeah, yeah, but Brunei was was the no, sorry Bhutan was the one I was talking about. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then like Cambodia is relatively complex. Yeah. Um, and so you have a whole load of these really kind of complex flags that are really nice flags and work really well. Um, so over time I began to think that more in accordance with these guidelines that it has to be something that if you try to reproduce it and do an imperfect job, can people still understand what it is? And if so, good flag. Yeah. Assuming you've made other choices like decent color and symbolism and all that sort of jazz. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, I think at least the way I used to be was that the minute I'd see something that wasn't like, you know, three colors plus a bit of graphic design, I'd be like, bad flag, yeah. bad flag, gone. And I've kind of done a bit of a U-turn on that. Um, so yeah. But I, I, um, what I think is interesting about this is that 
under under these guidelines rather than you know so simple child could draw guidelines that the Zelenogorsk flag is back in the game. <laughs> I love the way you started off really serious. Oh god, the that I'm I'm not accepting. I just don't like it. I just don't like it. It's just it just looks really like it should be on Nickelodeon. I would watch that cartoon. No bother. <laughs> So, so would I. I just don't think it should stand for a municipal uh, area, <laughs> you know? Atomic Bear Science. Um, that's, that's all I gotta say. Atomic Atomic Bear Science. Links in the show notes to that show. I'm gonna put the links for the flag as well for those who don't know what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so the, I thought they were really cool. I thought it was a really cool document and I'm glad that uh, this was sent our way. Also, there's an interesting point in that email about how rebel flags kind of come to be. Yeah. Uh, and to kind of summarize uh, w- what the intent of this email was, basically is rebel flags generally uh, need to be crafted on the fly from uh, other flags. Not need, but say tend to be. Yeah. Um, Like, you know, the rebellion probably doesn't have a whole team of graphic artists with them to design this perfect flag. So N6 suggested some modifications to my rebel flags based on this fact. So getting rid of some of the detail and incorporating things like, could this be made by literally just punching holes in other flags and all of this sort of jazz? And I think that's really cool. And I wasn't aware of that really. Yeah. Um, so that's a very interesting point and something I've taken completely on board. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought that was an important thing to consider. And you, you should always consider things like, materials that are available and, and contexts and, and that kind of thing. Um, I would say that they won't always necessarily have to be simple. And especially the more technology you have, the less simple the the, the, mm-hmm. the lower bar will be. I mean, if you have a rebel flag right now, they're going to have someone online who's going to be willing to design it. Um, it's, it's something that's probably going to yeah, happen there's... organically, first of all. Uh, there's going to be people who are going to design flags um, you're going to have someone who has access to fabric printing, uh, like after hours at their job or something. Um, so it'll, you'll, you'll kind of have a little bit more leeway for things now. Um, and then, you know, obviously you don't, if it's say literally a bunch of people like are besieged in a tower or something and they need a flag, then, you know, they might not have fabric printing resources in there, but you know, in a, in a more general sense nowadays, you, you could get away with being a bit more complex. Um, due to the technology available. Yeah, that that's entirely fair. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, I still think N6's uh, point has is valid, especially like like medieval type fantasy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like you bring up the, the thing about the siege, like you can easily see someone tearing down a flag and then like say, stitching it really crudely onto a bit of white cloth and yeah. there you go it's the rebel flag you know oh, absolutely um, and i wasn't i wasn't uh contradicting i was more just uh giving <laughs> a, another context or i was i was building on um so there's gonna be i'm gonna put a ton of links in the show notes to this because i think this email was just great mm-hmm, and yeah, it was good it's email. really cool um so thank you n6 and finally we've got an email from aaron t about the apparent motion of the sun across the sky uh, how would we work out what a viewer on a planet's surface would see um, looking at the sun and looking at celestial bodies at other uh, axial tilts? 
Oh boy. Um, uh, I'm going to say I don't know. Okay. I think it's important when one doesn't know to just own up and say I don't have any idea. And this is one where I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know. Short of the usual thing of going into Universe Sandbox, um, setting up the system. Uh, marking in all your tilts and then running it and literally standing on the surface of the planet and looking up at the sky to see things. Short of that, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, if anyone in the sub knows anything about this, please leave it in so we can all learn a, learn a little bit. It'd be really cool. But uh, yeah, I'm out on this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I do not. I do not know everything about world building, unfortunately. And now I'm making a note to find out how to do this. <laughs> And that's that's it for emails. That is it for Q&A. World building Q&A. I'm going to make this stick. All right. Uh, shall we head into the writer's room? Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll see how I feel about this rebrand. I'll see how I feel by the end of the episode. Let's go to the writer's room. Yeah. Uh, I came across two things you might be interested in. And one of them I suspect may lead a, or be a little bit relevant to the main topic. Um... But uh, in one of my Facebook groups, there was a thread about metal in languages other than English. Um, oh, and you know, like a lot of bands from wherever will sing in English. Like, you know, most of the Botswana bands sing in English. I haven't come across any mm-hmm. that sing in Botswana. Uh, most Scandinavian bands will be mostly in English. A lot of German bands will be mostly in English. It's kind of the international language of most metal. Um, but there's cool here. So I, I, we got um, maybe kind of twenty-ish different bands that sing in other languages. Um, and there's a very uh, interesting one here. It's not exactly metal, but it's a a prog rock band called. No, I'm not exactly sure if I'm getting this right, but I think they're called Kaduaton. Kaduaton. Spell. K a d u a t a with an acute accent n. Um, okay, Kaduaton, and they. Oh, I'm gonna take a pop at the language just by looking at the um, orthography. Okay, I will genuinely. If you get this in your first go, I will genuinely give you twenty quid. <laughs> Yay, twenty quid! Okay, um, so it's not gonna be what I was thinking. Hold on. Okay, I don't think this is a language. I don't think this is a natlang. Um. This is must be. I'm imagining this is their conlang. Let me just have a look. Introducing. Don't look it up. Well, no, I give you my guess. I can't. I it uh, the this this thing here, Kaduaton, and then the the song is called Oz Kavaruki. I looked at that and went like, that looks really kind of Icelandic. But then the next song was called like Unk Aton, with like a little apostrophe everywhere. Yeah. With apostrophes everywhere, everywhere, and I was like, that's no longer Icelandic. And then. Indarma looked kind of Sanskrit-y um, ish and so I was like this looks like it's an invented thing so now I'm looking it up so give me two seconds um, uh, so interesting yes it is the Ith Ithkuil language correct does that mean I got 20 quid no because you looked it up no but I looked it up after the guess yeah but you didn't guess oh, Ithkuil the- Oh, okay, yeah, okay, fair. <laughs> that was a bet I could never win. I think you're you're a dishonest person, Bill. <laughs> well, no, but like that's why I said it because it's, it's like it would be so amazing if you got it that you would get twenty quid. 
I'm glad I I am glad I did not say like Icelandic or Sanskrit. I'm glad my brain was like, mm, this looks made up. I'll take that as a win for me, even though it's not a monetary win. Um so tell us more about this it's cool language. What 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 is what about it? So uh it's it's quite a famous conlang. Um and uh Kaduaton are a prog rock band more than metal, a prog rock band that seem, as far as you can tell, sing entirely in Ithquil. And the vocals for this band are sung by David J. Peterson. That sounds familiar. Yeah, David J. Peterson is the guy who uh, constructed Dothraki and Valyrian. Wait a minute, <laughs> hold on. Oh my god, he, he sings it? Apparently so. Do you know what? I was in, in researching the... Uh, okay a little bit of behind the scenes stuff for for artifacts here uh this week i wrote a script which got to the final stages uh and i sent it to bill for it to be proofed and stuff and then i slept on it and was like i don't think this is a solid video um i think i'm stretching this out a little bit too much and i don't like it so i'm going to start again um so the script that i was writing that won't become a video was heavily informed by watching a lot of his videos, this David J. Peterson oh, guy's cool. videos. Because um, he also does a kind of like, here's how to conlang um, series on his channel, links in the doobly, links in the show notes even. Um, so that's really weird. He's mm. like, he <laughs> in his videos, uh, he's a real like soft-spoken sort of dude. I, I wonder what this music is like. Hold on. Let me, let me just quickly sample it. Oh God, it's awful. That's not good at all. <laughs> It's very prog rock. It's yeah, it's quite prog rock. It's very. What song did you listen uh, to? Oz uh, Kavarakui, and I just skipped through it at random points. Um, that's not what I was expecting. I don't like that. <laughs> like props for like writing a language and singing it, but like the, the aesthetic doesn't do anything for me. Are you listening to it now? No. Are you just waiting in silence? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst thing about recording on Skype. There's always that awkward thing where you're like, I'm finished. He'll know I'm finished in a second. And then you're like, he hasn't picked it up yet. Oh, okay, I should wait. Should I say something now? Maybe I shouldn't. Okay, never mind. And then what always happens is we invariably start talking at the exact same time because like we go through the same thought process and then it's like, uh, at the same time. And it's just, it's just a nightmare to edit. Um, Anyhow, uh, cool. So links in the do links in the show notes to all of that. That's really that's really cool. That's really interesting. Um, um, surely that can't be the only case of people singing conlangs. Like this, this, this seems like it's a natural crossover. I, I, I'm sure there's bands that sing in, in Quenya. I'm sure it's been attempted. Um, oh, definitely. I yeah, yeah. Think there's a band that sings in Klingon. Um, yes, but they they haven't recorded anything. Um, as far as I know, there's, there, yeah, there's probably other stuff. Um, and I, I mean, that's only off the top of my head in metal. There's, a there's, there's rap in Lodgeban, I think. Um. No. Yeah. It, that sounds exasperated. Is it any good? I, I haven't listened to it. I haven't listened to it. I've just seen it linked. Um, I might, might do that and report back to you in the, mm. the, the fora. Anywho, anything else on that? Uh, well, th- I, I, mm, we, we may have to edit around this, but I suspect this might tie a little bit into your, uh, into your main topic. 
there's um a thrash metal band, three piece thrash metal. I think I think the three of them are brothers as well, called Alien Weaponry. Alien Weaponry, which is a great name. I think you'll agree. Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a bit workman like. I guess I don't know. I just think it's it's just like it sounds like the name of a thrash band. If you had to kind of like come up with an like a joke name of a thrash band, you wouldn't be far off something like Alien Weaponry. It's the kind of name. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very appropriate name, I think. Um. Well, no, yeah. I was listening to a song of theirs called Ruana Te Hanua. Okay. Uh, they sing in Maori. They sing in Maori. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Mm, that does tie in a little bit to what I'm going to speak about. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and a lot of the stuff is about like Maori history and uh, the, the the crimes of the British in New Zealand and you know all that good stuff. Oh, all that good stuff. That's really cool. Uh, links? Do you, will you be able to get me links to this? I mean, I can send you one right like, now. Not now, for but for yeah, no, yeah, I'll, I'll send oh, you okay, links. Yeah, that's no problem. Let's send, let's send me one right now. I guess I'll I guess you're forcing me to listen to it. I'm okay. I'm not. I actually think it's kind of rude if you did, but okay. If you're gonna be if you wanna be rude, you can be rude there. Send it on Facebook. Yeah, I like that. That's really cool. In yeah. Maori, that's got they gotta be unique. Um I can't imagine an awful lot of people are gonna be doing this. Um I don't know, is there a big is there a big traditional metal scene amongst the Maori people? Uh I don't think so, no. There isn't a particularly huge uh, metal scene in Kiwi anyway, as far as I know. Um, mm. So it's not massive, and it's a place like a lot of bands don't tour to. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't think there's, there's a particularly strong scene there compared to some other places. But, uh, you know, I mean, everywhere has a scene. Um, That's yeah, true. I thought it was pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, links links in the show notes, you can check it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. It's really nice. And it does tie into a main topic, which I'm going to segue into, if that's okay with you. Sure. Uh, I, unlike Bill, uh, I wrote something this month, uh, dear listeners, um, and it is in the show notes as usual, and it's called the Aosita. The Aosita. Aosita, exactly. Uh, essentially what I did, because I was n- not great at coming up with names this, uh, this month, I took, uh, names I really like, and then just mashed them through my phonal tactics, and Aosita is essentially Aes Sedai. Um, <laughs> except with uh with my phone tactics because uh, i really like the name Aes Sedai. i think in all of like fantasy literature i've i've read Aes Sedai is just cool it's just like a really cool sounding name mm-hmm. so that's where i got that from anyhow so the, the so the background for this is that uh when i'm bored i often watch either plane crash videos or rugby highlight videos. Dude. Um, on loop. What? <laughs> That's grim. No, 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 man. There's a whole subculture of people who watch plane crash videos. That's not... It's, that's that. This is the thing, like. That's... <laughs> the fact that there's a subculture of it doesn't make it not grim. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, okay, I see that. But it's just, it's just like, yeah, it's morbidly fascinating. And the, the really interesting thing is that, like, I am terrified of flying. Um... And I don't know what it is, why I feel compelled to watch plane crash videos. Um, I think Hello Internet had something to do with that, but uh, this is a thing I do um, sometimes. Anyhow, but the point is, it wasn't. this is not a plane crash story. This is a story inspired by rugby videos. And for those who, um, like for the US citizens uh, listening, I suppose, 
Uh, rugby's kind of like, I suppose, NFL. Uh, it's 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 a relatively similar thing. I think Americans know thing. what rugby is, dude. Do they? Do they? Is it that popular? I, I don't think it's popular, but I think a lot of them will know what it is. Hmm... Okay. All right. Fair enough. If they do, great. Uh, I was just, I was worried that they wouldn't. Um, but th- maybe this is something that people won't know that the New Zealand team, um, and other, and other kind of, uh, Pacific ocean nations before they, uh, yeah, before they the play the game, they, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, before they play their games, they usually line up in front of their, uh, opponents, the other, the opposing team. And they usually perform a traditional war dance. I believe war dance is the correct word for this. Um, and this has kind of become synonymous with the New Zealand team in particular. And it, they have this thing called the haka. And it's kind of become super famous, like the, the, this uh, Maori war dance. Mm-hmm. So I was watching this and I was like, let's write something. Let's write a bit of fiction based around uh, the Maori war dance. Um or rather use, learn a little bit about the Maori war dance and then just like use it to create a similar sort of dance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is what I have done. Um, yeah. So do you want me to just TL the order of piece of prose? Yeah, please. So uh, we are, for those who aren't going to read this, the general gist is that uh, the story, this little story is set at the inauguration of Idan Zan who is uh, the leader, the now leader of the rebel forces. Okay. And uh, Idan is a staunch traditionalist. Um, so the decision was made that at his inauguration, they would perform the Ao Sita, which is a traditional Takaran uh, war dance. And this, the, the, the dance they perform is, it's very much like the Hakka. It's, you have a, a, like a leader of the group, you have a group of ex people uh, who are taken through drills and recite responses based on the calls of one member. Mm-hmm. And in my in, in my setting, that one member happens to be female in this case, and they are dressed in the uh, clothes of the no ape. Do you remember the no ape from Hybrid Animals? I do. They are they wear its skin and wear its face as a mask. Um, it's actual face or it's creepy fake face? Um, well, like, it's, it's like, skull. Like, think shaman. Right. Like, a bog-standard shaman sort of imagery where it's like, you know, the tiger thing on its, and, you know, you can see the mouth and all that sort of jazz. That sort of thing, except it's it's a no-way. Right. Um, uh, but so, so this person, this person takes uh, the group through drills and they basically drill a whole load of martial forms while shouting stuff like we live we die we fight we will never surrender um the the way you would do on uh, an ancient battlefield of old except the difference is that i brought in some elements of the kekak fire dance from bali oh cool we we went to this when we were in indonesia and essentially this is a story i'm going to get this so horrifically wrong it's going to be culturally inappropriate so please criticize me in the subreddit i think it's a story from ancient hindu texts telling uh telling a story of i think it's like a prince's fall from grace i think um and it's this kind of like balinese theater sort of thing it's very touristed up like it's very touristy um they play it up for 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 the tourists but uh it's just like yeah a bit of night theater 
and at the end what happens is a um someone comes out and like lights a big heap of coals in the middle of the sort of theater area on fire and begins to dance around them and kick coals at the audience and all this sort of jazz Class. um yeah, it was pretty metal. Like people were scared. Like bits of flaming coal kept flying at, and I was like, "This is cool." <laughs> uh, so I incorporate that into it. So with the whole Nacolite thing, uh, I was like the 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 shamanistic leader of the group. Um, whilst calling out orders to the group is like shooting fireballs. So like, the, 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 as in like this is their way of conveying war or whatever. Uh, and then the group drill martial forms, and then. The shaman will again call out something, more fireballs, the group drills, and so on. And Ooh. basically, TLDR at the end of the story, everyone gets really pumped. There's a whole load of fire in an underground metro intersection, and then a small riot breaks out, and we finish the piece turning to Edan Zan, where he turns to the narrator uh, of the story and says, the government don't stand a chance. We're fine. <laughs> so that is TLDR on that story. Yeah. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. Okay, what what do you think of my attempt at writing actual prose, like actual, like it's a story as opposed to like a, a, a textbook sort of thing? Um, I mean, it was it was just a, a kind of a, a straight up description of a thing. Um, from you know, I mean, it's it's a it's a few pages long, and so you didn't get a, a lot of chance to show off. It's actually it's two pages long to show off with it and and. Mm-hmm demonstrate anything by way of prose but there certainly wasn't anything that stood out to me as needing criticism i don't think oh cool that's good yeah um yeah i i I got the captain to read over it a couple of times and be like could you please make sure this is okay before i send it to me uh yeah no as, as i say i i enjoy it um it's a it's a cool uh, event or it's, it's a cool like performance or whatever that you want you want to call it um and mm-hmm. it you know it would be visually impressive and i like the kicking the fire on the place that's that's pretty cool <laughs> um and i liked i liked the no ape thing that was that was class um i need to come up with a better name than no ape that was very much a placeholder name um that, needs, like that needs to change not well, not least because like we don't have no. Do I have no? Uh, we don't have an a sound in Takar, into in Oa. Oh no! So it have to be like no. We'd have to be like no app or no ipe. Um, I'd have to I have to mash it around a little bit. So yeah, it's yeah, still a place. I mean, you're calling it in, in um, English. I am. That's fair. Oh, and it's worth saying. Yeah, I think I mentioned in the prose that the the actual lines that the the group and the the shaman call out should be in ancient Owen, um, not English. Obviously, at some stage I might translate them, and maybe that might be a separate document in and of itself. Oh, I don't cool. know. Uh, I was not up for this at like two a.m. <laughs> two a.m. Um, seems to be my writing hour. Like I don't know what it is. <laughs> like late at night, it's kind of like now I will write, and something tends to come out. But during the day, it's like nope, nothing. Um, that's really weird. I I have to say though, I did like what you had written before this as well. Is that completely gone? Oh, that is completely gone. Oh, that's a shame. I liked it. I thought that. I thought that was crap. I mean, I, I think it's, oh, it's cool to have to have them both. Like that, you can you know because mm. just for for the listeners, what what Edgar wrote originally was just kind of a like an instruction on how to perform 
the the Ausseta, um, you know, the, the actual steps yeah. that you do and what what the calls and responses are. Um, you know, I, I think I think they they go well quite well together. Like one is just kind of a fairly dry document explaining how to do it, and the other is a description of it from an onlooker. Hmm. Okay. Hold on. Let me make a note. Rewrite. Alcita, or not? Rather, not rewrite, but uh, try and uh, recompose the first part. Yeah, I just thought it came across really, really dry. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is not going to be any fun for a listener to read at all. Um, so I decided to ditch it. Um, I'm personally happy with the choice. But I suppose there will be value in the dry document because uh, you can kind of tell exactly what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, during, you know, when, when the group says we live, they like beat their chest and they all have to do it in unison because if they're out of time, that bodes ill for the war that is to come. And there you get those little things, I suppose in it that you kind of have to glance over when you're writing a piece of prose. I don't know. Am I, am I, if, if if by the time this goes up, I write it again, I might put it in the show notes. If not, cool. if it's not in the show notes right now, dear listener, I have not rewritten it. And you're <laughs> going to have to stick with uh, the prose. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, a little, little sort of outside of the text uh, question I meant to ask mm-hmm. uh, you. What do you think of the idea of someone who is not of Maori or Polynesian culture uh, writing about this and using it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there is, there's obviously a a huge uh, thing of like appropriation and the, the, the appropriateness of you using something um, that is is from a different culture. Um, I mean, like, obviously we, we, get to be inspired by other stuff and we get to take inspiration from wherever and I, that, I think that's always a valid thing um i i think it's a problem when you're when someone um from not from that culture is being listened to more than people from that culture uh so if you have mm. like a french person or you, you know yeah let's say like a french person being considered the 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 chief uh, authority and the only person that is listened to on some aspect of Kazakh culture. Why well, don't actually listen to Kazakh people instead? They might have a right, bit yeah. of a better clue about it. Um, you know, so it's, 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 I don't think anyone really does. Cause a lot of people who criticize cultural appropriation say, Oh, you know, it's a stupid concept. Cultures always borrow from each other, but that's not actually what the, the word means. It means that, something is being taken and the the original um culture that that created isn't being listened to and it's it's often got to do with kind of a culture that is more powerful on on in a global way than the other so like you know americans taking over uh you know pick a small country and distorting their culture and representing it and that overtaking the original um that's a problem. But you're, what you're doing is not that. You're not trying to portray the Hakka. You've taken the idea of the Hakka and been inspired by it to create another thing. And as long as you're not saying that this you want to be listened to about Maori things, and as long as you're not saying that this is what the Hakka is, then, you know, I think that's you're probably a lot safer in that context because it's just, 
oh, here's a cool idea, and I'm going to use that as a, a starting point to come up with my own thing. Hmm. That's, I agree with that. Following that logic then, it seems to be impossible for someone to to be able to be criticized on this. Because if you just go, oh, I guess I just like handpicked a whole load of Japanese stuff and Kazakh stuff and French stuff and I mashed them all together because like I'm not representing the thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, it's fine, whatever. Like th- th- if you're not directly saying that this is X, therefore you can't be criticizing that. So is cultural appropriation a thing in literature? If you're not directly saying, you know, I am the definitive authority on this. This is X. If well, that makes sense. I mean, I, I'm sure it, it it still can be. Um, like if if you're if you're building like an analog culture, like a very thinly veiled analog culture, like uh, this is the country of Napage, and they have I Ramus. No, Irumas warriors that are brave, honor-bound warrior nobles. Um, you know, you think that's like very, very thinly veiled, and use that as a way to to try and um hide the fact of what you're doing. Then I think you still can do it that way. And of course, you you can take things like this, and it can be problematic by being just like plain racist. Like if you have a, a yeah. culture that's clearly based on uh Greeks, let's say. Um speak a country off the top of my head. And you make all of the Kyrg characters like ugly and stupid or something. Well I mean that's a very thinly veiled, like racist thing to do. Um you know, I mean but you can you can reproduce stereotypes through analogues without like actually saying, oh I think this is what all Irish people are like but if you have a country that's wet and like bullied by its neighbors and is a small island off the coast of a of a continent and everyone there is like an ill ill educated drunken farmer i mean you know you're not actually saying anything about ireland directly but you're you're still getting away with mm. using stereotypes yeah i, I totally agree well, uh, what was the tindy veiled uh, example you gave at the very start I don't know what you're talking. The page and Iramus? Hold or are you just making up words? Say them backwards. Oh, Japan and Samurai. Yeah. Irumas. Well, Jesus, well, uh, well done on doing that on the fly. Well, I got the Samurai one That's wrong. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I, I, I can usually work things out pretty quickly. What I what really annoys me is when people try and spell a word backwards and then read the backwards spelt word rather than just saying the phonemes in the reverse order. Like you're you're privileging the written form of the language there in a way that really annoys me. But that's that's a whole other topic. Never mind. I'll, I'll go off and on if, if we <laughs> a whole other this. topic, an entire section could be dedicated to this. Okay, so if people who go like N A P A J, Napage. You're saying it wrong. You should just go napage. Yeah, but like some things will be different if if you if you um spell them backwards. Because, oh yeah, because of the way orthography works. Yeah. Like, um, okay. No, let, let's take let's take your name, right? Let's just for the purpose of this example, say the word it was. Say your name was Egdar, right? E G D A R. 
right? E-D. Egdar. And if you were to say that backwards, it would be Radge. But the, what I'm talking about is if people spell R-A-D-G-E, well, that would obviously be Raj. So you're, you're yeah, taking yeah, yeah. the transcription That's... and inverting it and then re re like turning it into sound again rather than just flipping the sound around bill if only everyone in the world were as logical as you i don't I'm, i guess <laughs> i'm not probably not like i mean i don't know it probably wouldn't be a good thing i don't think i am that logical because this is a really stupid thing to be annoyed about but you know <laughs> Uh, anyway, to take it back to things uh, One, I'm glad you like the pros Two, I'm glad that I have not culturally appropriated the hell out of the Maori people um, Well, I mean If a Maori person disagrees with me on that Then probably should listen to them <laughs> Oh yeah, no, fair, of course, yeah, yeah and, but So far I have only one data point You We'll see what happens when we open up to the sub um, But uh, the, the third point I was going to make is I, I'm beginning to hone in on what the magic system in in Takara is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Like we've established over the course of like the years that this podcast uh, podcast has been going that it's uh, this techno osteomancy thing, but I've never really kind of solidified in my head what the actual effects are. Like what can the mages, so to speak, do? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking what I'm going to do is. I'm going to say that anything the body can produce can be elevated with the use of Nacolite, and particularly like Nacolite with nanobot injections into bones. So the idea of fireballs, now I'm, I'm, I'm extending this a little bit because I like fireballs, but like the idea that the body produces heat so that Nacolite produces even more heat and ergo fireballs. And say things right. like um, the body can jump for example, uh, put in Nacolite and you can jump a little bit higher and things like that. Um, the body has a certain strength, put in Nacolite, you get more strength. Um, essentially what I'm trying to do is find a way of combining Avatar The Last Airbender style mechanics with like steampunky or cyberpunky techno-osteomancy. And I think it okay. can kind of work as long as you're willing to look, look over some science. So thoughts on that? Yeah, that seems that seems legit. Um, the pr- producing heat, therefore producing fire, seems like a bit more of a jump than the other examples. Yeah, no, that that's fair. And there's gonna be, I think, there's gonna be some where the jump is going to be large, um, but they all have to be kind of based on a thing the body can do. Like my system is not going to allow for, say, the ability to be able to time travel. Right. Or the ability to be turn invisible. Like, that's that's not a thing the body does. I have to take it from a place, that the, a thing that the body does naturally. And uh, I will elevate it as much as I want to get the desired effect, which is kind of like Avatar meets Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon meets Cyberpunk battles over cityscapes sort of jazz. Yeah. Yeah? That's, that seems fair. That seems fair. And it's good to have a limitation like that. To, as, as, as a starting point I think if, if things are too open you can never get anywhere with it and I think that's a good that's a good basis to build from and I think maybe the, the limiting factor might be um, as in like just to take the fireball example like the body has a certain amount of heat mm-hmm. so if you decide to put out that heat into the world in the form of a fireball uh, enabled by an acolyte 
um, you're draining the body of heat. So you can't do it indefinitely. And you can't just like, no one can like consume the world in a fireball. Um, they don't have the heat necessary to, to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And I believe the same thing could be implied to all different other things. Like say the jumping thing. Um, you could leap up, say, the, 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 the height of an entire building. But maybe afterwards, your body would be so out of energy that you couldn't move. Because yeah. it takes energy to move. And you need to remember to, like, specifically put some energy into reinforcing your bones for the coming back down part of it. Yeah, exactly. Things like that. So I think possibly next month's document on my, my end is maybe going to be what the magic system is in, in its fullest, uh, I think. But don't hold me to that bill or the internet. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But I think that, I think that kind of works. And that, I think that'd be really fun, sort of like, it, it'll encompass all the sort of things I really like about like fantasy, um, like the Avatar style mm-hmm. thing and elemental magic. And I think it could work. I'm, I'm actually really positive about this one. Cool. Cool. Uh, anything else? Uh, I don't think so, no. Okay, shall we move from the writer's room down the fireman pole to the green room? Okay. So, Bill, I hear you uh, You watched Blade Runner. I did. I recently watched the original for the first time. And for the first time? Yeah, I'd never seen it before. Huh. Cool. Uh, and I watched um, the, And I take it you've watched the... The new one, yeah. Blade Runner 2049. Um, well, when I say I watched the original, I watched whatever version of it is available to rent on YouTube. So I know there's about five or six different cuts of the, of the original film. Um, and they have, like different interpretations and things and anyway that's that's the one that i watched hold on really quickly you you rent stuff on youtube yeah you can rent films on youtube yeah i've never done this what's it like what's the experience like for you pay like four quid and you can watch it as many times as you want for 48 hours and you know it's there in high def or whatever and it's on youtube and you can just watch it like a youtube video um, good, is it a good service? Have YouTube done this service correctly or is it like a nightmare to do? It was, I found it incredibly easy. Okay, cool. That's yeah. good. Um, so sometimes some of YouTube's features are a bit um, suspect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's good to know. It's good that was a good, uh, good, uh, good experience for you. Okay, so uh, what do you think of Blade Runner 1, first of all? Um, it's very, uh, it's very odd it's a very there's there's a kind of a nightmarish sort of feeling to the film i found or it's like a like a, a hallucination it's re, it's a really strange film and it's really unsettling in in how it's shot and things um it's visually quite impressive um they don't do a lot to like explain anything that happens in the film which kind of adds to the sort of general paranoia um and yeah, there, there, there's all these like theories, and those there, apparently there was a dispute between, or there is there's a disagreement between the director, and so there'll be spoilers, obviously, for for anyone who's who's um, oh yeah, spoilers, yeah. um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, there there was a a dis- disagreement between the screenwriters and Harrison Ford on one side, and the director. Ridley Scott, as as far as I remember, on the other side, um, about one of the 
characters, but the, the main character and whether the main character himself is a replicant. Um, and I just think that's really weird. There was nothing, I, like I never, I got nothing in the film to suggest to me that that Harrison Ford's character was a replicant. Um, I just, I don't know, I, I didn't find it. You know, so maybe that was just the cut of it that I watched. Maybe in other cuts, it seems more likely. Um, there's one... Can I jump in here? Yeah. Yeah, have you read the book? Yeah. Okay. And in the book, did you not... There was a whole big, like, spiel in the middle of the book about, like, am I a replicant? Are these people replicants? Like, there was a whole big thing. Did that not... Like, did you not know this going in, kind of, like, that was a thing? I, I knew before I saw the film that this was one of the things about the film, like, is Deckard a replicant? And I watched the film and I came away from thinking Deckard is not a replicant. There's no reason to think Deckard's a replicant. Oh, okay, okay, okay. All right, okay, continue. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, I read the book. I mean, I read it a long time ago, but, like, just because it's in the book, the film has to do the work for itself, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's 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 entirely fair, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, there, was one, there was one scene that I strongly, strongly disliked. Um, uh, so the, the replicant, uh, assistant, the, the, what's the guys, the capitalist guys, replicant assistant who doesn't know she's a replicant. Um, it, you meet her quite early in the film and, uh, later on she comes to suspect that she's a replicant and she, she realizes that she is and she's in Deckard's apartment and Deckard kisses her. And then she tries to leave and he's like physically stops her from leaving and then pushes her against a wall and then kisses her again. And, and then they have sex. So a man who has the legal obligation to murder her stopped her from leaving his house and then had sex with her. And that is super not okay. Yeah. Like, and I've, I've never that heard that acknowledged no. by anyone before that there is what is by any, like, any legal definition, that's a rape. And no one has ever said to me before that, yeah, Blade Runner has this incredibly, incredibly not okay event in it, which I was kind of surprised by. I don't... I, I, it's been a while since I read... I, a while, it's been like two months or so since I read uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, so I don't remember the details that much, but... I don't remember this being in the book. I it's it's a very that's... it's a very very loose adaptation. It's yeah, a very yeah, very yeah, loose adaptation. The... Like it's it's not really no... an adaptation. It's it's like it, it builds on similar ideas. Yeah, because um, at no point in the book did I go, "Ooh, that's that's." Hang on here, hold up, whoa! Like that that wasn't the thing that I picked up. Now I could have missed it because I fall asleep during books the whole time. I can't remember, <laughs> um, but. Yeah, that's not okay. That's that's not great. Yeah, and you know, my 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 main objection here isn't that the film had this in it. It's that how how come I've never heard anyone say this about this film? That's what I found really weird. Okay. Uh, the what's how does this compare to the new Blade Runner? Um, the new Blade Runner. Uh, I'm going to talk spoilery here as well. Um, if that's okay with you. No, yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah, spoilers ahead. There will be no other content in this episode, so if you don't want to get this spoiled, just stop listening right now and you won't miss anything else. So, um, on, Bill. 
Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't resolve uh, a lot of the ambiguities of the original film, which I think is good. Um, like if they had come out and been like Deckard is a replicant, then that would have I thought that would have been really stupid, and also for him to be a replicant, you'd have to change a lot of like established facts from the first film. Which which they do. I mean, so so in in later in twenty forty nine, there are other replicants that live longer, because in in the original okay. they have like a a few years of a lifespan, and by the time of the second one they have um like extended lifespans. Uh, possibly the possibly they don't age, um, and it mm. it says that they existed at the time of the original film, but they weren't really released yet, um. So I just think if you if they had taken that and said Deckard is a replicant um, and he's still alive because he's one of these new replicants, that would have been really bad because you're changing the established facts of the original in order to be like, oh, the rules were different all along. And that's why we have him in this film. Do you see what I mean? It's yeah, like, it's like yeah. the Sanderson's um, Law thing. You, you, you shouldn't like invent new rules so that mm-hmm. you're characters can solve problems you can only invent them to make problems and um, it's just i, th- I thought so, it would have been so shoddy writing so hang on uh, is is 2049 a continuation or like a fresh start oh no it's a sequel it's, oh, it's a sequel yeah it's it's it's, um, it's okay, explicitly right. a sequel okay 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 um that's good that's good job on the writer's part there yeah that's, that's really cool um Overall, though, like, I know you don't rate films, you hate rating films. Is it thumbs up, thumb down? Like, should I go watch this? Yeah, I guess it's a thumbs up. It's worth a, it's worth a watch. It's, it's visually quite interesting. Or visually quite, quite beautiful, actually. There's, there's a lot of, like, really nice, um, cinematography in it. It's a bit long in parts, I think. Um, it could have been a little bit shorter. Um, there's some clever, there's some clever writing in it as well. Um, like the the plot, uh, there's some good stuff in the in the content of the plot, um, and it's very very stylish. Uh, I felt like they were trying to say something about sexism or about objectification, but they never really got around to actually making the point. <laughs> they set it up and never delivered. Kind of, yeah, kind of like there's huh. uh, there's a lot of. Because replicants are, are, are legal now, um, it, 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 in a limited kind of sense. And so there's a lot of replicant sex oh, workers. Okay. Um, and all, all the ones you see that I can remember, they're all women. Um, and the main character has this sort of holographic AI girlfriend. Um, and there's a scene in uh, later on in the film where you see a lot of old architecture from... From, from the past, from before, some kind of ruinous event. And it's all these kind of like sexualized uh, stat- giant statues of women. And I th- it was like putting all that together, I felt like they, were tr- like they were building up to having some kind of point to make about sexism and about objectification. But they kind of, they had the materials and they just kind of like threw them on the table and didn't actually build the, the sculpture, you know? Huh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Bill. Yes. You know why you said the, the the film is long in parts? Yeah. Do you know what else is long in parts? Me talking about films? 
No, this podcast in its entirety. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we we have uh, uh, have you got anything else on Blade Runner? And if not, uh, shall we do what Blade Runner 2049 failed to do and kill this thing before it becomes way unwieldy? Yeah, let's 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 end the Blade Runner bit there. I will. I'm interested in going seeing it uh, with the captain. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, perhaps we'll do some follow up on this. Um, yeah, it's a thing that I've I've been meaning to do. Um, so I'll, I'll send you all my thoughts. If, if I'll send you all my thoughts, if not in podcast form, definitely in private form. Cool. Cool. All right. Thank you so much for Artifacts here for listening. As always, it means so much. Uh, we'll see you all next month. Hopefully, Bill will actually do some world building for <laughs> once next month. We can all enjoy his world for building. For once. <laughs> How dare you? For once. <laughs> How dare and you? And I, <laughs> I'll see you all. Bill, I'll see you next time. And I'll see Artifacts here next time. Until next time, Edgar, Edgar out. out.